Okay, everybody. So I've been getting a lot of questions from friends, family, followers who basically want to know what the hell just happened in Russia over this past weekend. Um, they've either, you know, not wanted to take the time to read a bunch of posts and news articles, which I get, or they have, and they're still confused. So I figured I would make this uh, like short little podcast and kind of just briefly explain what happened. Before we do that, of course, uh, this podcast, along with all of our other podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions LLC. Please check out the Lethal Minds Journal. That's a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the Journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands. That's a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, where you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. Okay, let's head into it. Okay, so getting into this, there's really three people that we need to know. The first is Yevgeny Prigozhin. He is the leader and the owner of a private military company. We've spoken about them before. They're a Russian company called the Wagner Group. They're named after the German composer Wagner, right? So it's spelled like Wagner, but it's it's German. It's Wagner. Um, Yevgeny is pretty rich dude. He's had a relationship with Putin for the past couple decades. Um, he has this stupid ass nickname by like Western journalists called Putin chef. And the only reason they call him that is because he owns like a ton of catering companies that have gotten contracts for the Russian military. They've gotten contracts for the Kremlin. His companies, you know, fed high level figures, including like George Bush when he's president, right? So that's why they call him Putin chef. Next person you need to know is Valery Garasimov. He is the chief of the general staff of the Russian military, which pretty much means he's their top general, right? And then you have Sergei Shoigu. He is the Russian minister of defense. Now, obviously, all three of these men have played a large role in the war in Ukraine, right? They really spearheaded the assault on Bakhmut, and they took a ton of casualties in the process. Now, these two sides, being the Russian military and Wagner, they have been in this this very odd sort of feud. And I actually shouldn't even say the sides themselves. It's really been Prigozhin and the two other men, Garasimov and Shoigu. They've been in this very weird sort of feud. And basically what's going on is the two factions that they lead uh, want to want to be able to gain Putin's favor, right? They want to be able to show results in the invasion it, of Ukraine. And obviously the Russian military has really not been uh, providing results like most people thought they would up, up to and including Putin, I'm sure. Um, while for the better part of the past year, oh, Wagner has really been the only organization to provide results. They took Bakhmut and yeah, they took a ton of casualties doing it and it took them nine months. But for the better part of the past year, that's really more than what the Russian military has been able to do. Right. So you got this very odd feud going on. Uh, Prigozhin has 
been accusing Shoigu and Kurosimov of being traitors. He's called for them to be publicly executed. He's accused them of not giving Wagner enough ammunition to fight. Um, he's laid the blood of thousands of Wagner personnel on their hands. It, it's this very odd thing that's going on. Garosimov and Shoigu have been trying to uh, hedge against Prigozhin's influence, I guess you could say. They've also been trying to disband Wagner. So after Wagner took Bakhmut a couple months ago, uh, Shoigu and Garosimov basically came out with this order that all Russians fighting in Ukraine that were not already part of the military would have to sign contracts with the military. And this is very clearly targeted at Wagner because they're easily the largest non-military uh, combatant in Ukraine on the side of Russia right now. And what that means is if you were a fighter with the Wagner group, you would have to sign the contract with the military and essentially be treated like any other Russian soldier would. Right, Just because you're a part of Wagner, you don't get special privileges. You're still under the military command structure. Obviously, if and when that were to take effect, that would pretty much make Prigozhin useless. Right, Wagner group wouldn't really have a use because it would just be another mainline military unit. Right, So obviously, that was a big deal, and that was a, a huge recent point in this feud between these two sides. And then on Friday, Friday morning... Uh, U.S. time, Pacific time, Prigozhin comes out with a video and starts accusing Shoigu and Garasimov of lying to the Russian people and to Putin about the reasons for the invasion. He claimed that they made all this noise about heightened Ukrainian aggression on the border and basically sold that lie to Putin, leading Putin to declare the invasion on on false pretenses, pretty much. Um, he again accused them of being traitors. He accused them of plundering the occupied Donbass from 2014 to 2022, instead of helping the people of the Donbass, right? So these are very serious accusations, even for Prigozhin that he is throwing out, right? Uh, this feud is very clearly heating up. And then a few hours later, Prigozhin comes out and post this video, which doesn't really show a whole lot, um, and basically accuses the Russian military of intentionally launching an airstrike on one of Wagner's assembly areas inside Ukraine, according to Prigozhin, killing and wounding a ton of Wagner men. Again, he accuses them of doing this knowingly. So, and it's not even really clear how true this is, right? It, it kind of looks like this whole thing didn't even happen in the first place, this alleged strike on a Wagner position. It looks like it was probably bullshit, but we don't know that 100%. Anyway, Prigozhin runs with it and basically declares war on these two men, saying that it's time to stop the bullshit. Um, we're going to take you guys out of power. And this whole thing was very odd, right? Russian forces um, in Moscow, Russian forces in southern, the southern part of the country basically get put on alert. They're, the military is deploying around these cities. They're setting up roadblocks, border guards on alert. It's very odd, and it kind of looks like 
much isn't going to come of this. Maybe it's just Prigozhin sounding off like he normally does. Obviously, the things he are, he's saying is pretty serious, right? But I personally did not think anything was going to come of this. Well, maybe a couple hours after that, uh, he claims that Wagner forces crossed the border into Russia, uh, into Rostov Oblast in specific, that's in southern Russia. Um, and he said that his forces were like greeted by the border guards with hugs and stuff like that. And yeah, he continues on. It looks like there may have been a couple skirmishes here and there, but he basically moves into uh, the main city, Rostov-on-Don, which is, I mean, a major hub for the Russian invasion in southern Russia. It's this major, major city in southern Russia. Over one million people live there. The invasion itself is coordinated out of there, specifically in the headquarters of the southern military district. Russia is, of course, divided up into military districts based on region, and his forces surround the southern military district, no shots fired, um, and basically convince the deputy minister of defense, who is inside the building, and the deputy head of the GRU, Russian military intelligence, to surrender. They're both in the building. His forces surround, again, no shots fired, and they completely take over the headquarters of the southern military district and the entire city of Rostov-on-Don, which is the capital of that region, right? And then he gets a column of about 5,000 Wagner fighters and continues on along the M4 highway, which basically runs all the way from Rostov all the way to Moscow. It's like 800 miles, somewhere around there. Um, and he keeps going. He pushes through uh pushes around, I should say, the city of Voronezh, right, which is another major city on the way to Moscow. And on the way, they're getting into small skirmishes here and there. They shot down six helicopters and one transport plane, or actually one command post plane, all within the span of less than 24 hours. And this massive convoy that is filled with tanks and armored personnel carriers, service-to-air missiles, uh, this is a legit like military convoy. They get all the way into the southern part of Moscow Oblast, and the farthest they get is like 125 miles from Moscow, which is not a lot. It started to look like they were legitimately going to push into the capital city, and if that would have happened, I assume there would have been a large fight. But out of nowhere, the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, basically talked to Prigozhin, kind of negotiated on Putin's behalf, and the deal was made. Prigozhin had his uh, columns turn around, and they went back to their bases in Ukraine. They left the Russian cities that they occupied. And under this deal, Prigozhin is going to Belarus in like some sort of exile. Uh, the Wagner fighters that took part in this mutiny, which killed at least 15 Russian soldiers, are not going to be prosecuted. Those that did not take part in the mutiny are going to be folded into the Russian military like was proposed by Gerasimov and Shoigu. Um, and that's pretty much all we know at this time. There's a lot of speculation as to why Prigozhin stopped before he reached Moscow. Maybe he realized he didn't have enough support among the Russian people. Maybe he realized he wouldn't be able to win in a fight with the Russian military in Moscow. Maybe he got something on the side. We really don't know. 
All we know is the details that were laid out by the Kremlin spokesperson, and that's pretty much it right now. So we'll see if anything changes tomorrow on Monday, but that's pretty much where things stand. This was, I mean, certainly one of the most bizarre days in Russian history since the fall of the Soviet Union, for sure. Um, That's pretty much what happened. Uh, Hopefully that explained it for you guys a little bit. I know maybe it is still confusing because it's a very odd situation, right? But um, that's pretty much all I could say about it. It's still kind of hard to get a grasp on what exactly happened and how things move so fast. But yeah, here we are. That's pretty much it. Again, I hope I was able to kind of explain that for you guys and and help you get a better grasp on things. But to be perfectly honest, I think most of us don't have a grasp on what really happened uh, 100%. So that's pretty much all I got for you. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening to this. Of course, you can find this on any podcast app you listen to. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Analyze Educate. It's all one word. Find us on Telegram at Analyze and Educate. It's the and symbol, not and spelled out. Consider supporting us on Patreon again or at Ko-Fi. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating on whatever app you use to listen to this podcast. Again, I hope this is able to explain things a little bit. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys around.